Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and this is a special, urgent podcast. We are calling on all of our prayer partners, not just those that are part of the gatekeepers, but all of our prayer partners to pray. Now, we've been spending time updating our gatekeepers in special podcasts about the situation inside of North Korea. And one of the things that I have said over and over and over again is that the media has lost track of what's important. If you've been watching the media inside Europe or inside the United States, what you have been inundated with is Trump tweets. What you've been inundated with is what President Trump has been doing or has not been doing, uh, the Paris Accord, global warming, and we've taken our eye off of North Korea. And it's a very dangerous situation right now because we have some of the biggest military uh, units sitting outside in the waters of the Korean Peninsula ready to strike. China has been urging the United States to take their THAAD missiles, their international ballistic missile defense system, away from the Korean Peninsula, and that might have been possible until this morning. I'm sitting in the United States. It's July 4th. It is the day that most Americans are celebrating their Independence Day. But as Americans slept, they woke up to the news that while they were sleeping, there was a different fireworks show that was taking place than what they had planned for their Independence Day on July 4th. Instead of the normal July 4th fireworks that people would see, Kim Jong-un had his own fireworks show when he shot an international ballistic missile into the sea of Japan. This is a huge event that is taking place on the Korean Peninsula, and we need our partners to be praying. Now, you might be hearing about this as you're watching the news, as you're reading the news. It's front page news everywhere. But let me break it down for you a little bit from a Christian perspective of individuals that are actually working on the ground in North Korea. And let me tell you a little bit about what's happening. North Korea, when they launched their international ballistic missile, it did not explode at takeoff like most of their other ones. It was perfectly guided just as they had planned. No one lost their head, apparently, because that's what happens when you have military failures inside of North Korea. People lose their heads. Those that fail, fail to continue living. Kim Jong-un does not mess around with military leaders that do not do what he says. He basically decapitates them or gets rid of them in one way or the other, even if you are his brother and you are in another nation like we saw a few months ago when he had his own brother executed in the middle of an international airport in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. The U.S. now will just have to live with the fact that North Korea now has nukes that can reach its major cities. This is the same as what South Korea and Japan have been already doing for many years. But 
America has never had the idea of a ballistic missile from North Korea being launched at the will of a madman being able to hit at any given time. This is a wake-up call. Good morning. That means America now lives in range of North Korean missiles. Now, do you remember when just several years ago when North Korea was trying to get in their hands on nuclear weapons? What was the reason? We just want energy. We just want a way to be able to make uh, nuclear power. That's what Iran has been saying for years, that we deserve the right to be able to use nuclear energy to be able to produce electricity. But North Korea has now thrown that excuse out the window and has only one desire, and that is to have a nuclear bomb in which to hold the rest of the country hostage. And if you have ever been to North Korea or seen how the people live, trust me when I tell you, you do not want to live under the dictatorship of a person like Kim Jong-un. You, it, you just don't want to do it. And now we're seeing that this missile that they launched, it's very important to know that it flew nearly 1,800 miles high above the earth. The missile flew over 35 minutes before crashing down into the Sea of Japan. Now, the reason why this is important is because they purposefully made their arc high enough. That's why the height is so important is because they made their their arc high enough so as to not hit any other countries. This was their first real test that was successful, meaning that if they had screwed up on their arc, we would have had a renegade missile just flying around and possibly landing on the wrong location. Now, this was just for a test fire, so it was not nuclear, it was not armed with a nuclear device. And now many people are saying, well, it, maybe it doesn't have a, a, a nuclear capabilities yet in order to be able to put it on the end of a ballistic, international ballistic, intercontinental ballistic missile. Um, I think I'm pretty much done with listening to, uh, experts that say, well, I don't think that they're there yet. Because every time we hear more experts say that they're not there yet, it'll take another five to ten years, North Korea does something the very next week that shows that they are much further along than anybody had anticipated. Experts are trying to keep things calm so that if anybody does a preemptive strike, they will look like the bad guys. If South Korea, Japan, the United States does any sort of joint exercise and makes a preemptive strike to stop North Korea before they are able to hold the world hostage, they will look like the aggressors because everybody will say everybody knew that North Korea was just this poor, stupid, little, backwards farming country. They didn't really have the nuclear capabilities like their wild goose chase in um, Iraq where weapons of mass destruction could not be found. Even with weapons of mass destruction in, in Iraq – now, I served two tours in Iraq prior to the Iraqi invasion in 2003, and let me tell you that they are still finding military items that have been buried in the sand. We do not know what Saddam Hussein had or did not have. All we know is that he continued to threat threaten the international community, and he did use chemical weapons whenever he had the chance against his own people, especially in the Kurdish territory. 
so that anybody that tries to stop it are looking like the aggressors, no matter how much they show restraint and pressure or, or lack of pressure. And for several years, the world has been showing absolute restraint against North Korea when they could have stopped this years ago. Now we're at a situation where it's almost unstoppable. It basically is unstoppable because any attack, any preemptive attack on North Korea, and I'm not saying that there should be any preemptive attack. I'm not supporting that in any way because any attack on North Korea would be disastrous. Um, Mad Dog Mattis, one of my heroes, a U.S. Marine that has now been put in charge of the Department of Defense for the United States. You do not want to mess with Mad Dog Mattis. Mad Dog Mattis has said, and I completely agree with him, that any war with North Korea will be bloody. It will be one of the bloodiest ones that we have seen in generations. Any attack on North Korea, do not be dismayed. Do not think that America, Japan, South Korea, even though these are first world armies walking on a third world nation of North Korea, it would be absolutely disastrous. That's what you need to plan on. If it wasn't disastrous, then it would only be a blessing, an act of mercy. I believe that it would be one of our bloodiest battles of the 21st century. The reason why is because North Koreans' missiles are mobile. The intelligence community does not know where they're at. So any attack on North Korea would first have to make sure that they could not get those mobile weapons up and going. And they wouldn't have to reach America, by the way. America would be pretty safe in a preemptive attack. It would be about the 20 million people or more that are around Seoul, South Korea, and the million or more expats that are in Seoul, and the 30,000 troops, American troops that are in South Korea, not to mention Japan and Tokyo and these major metropolitans that are within reach of North Korea. And we're not talking about just nuclear here. We're talking about biological and chemical weapons that are more deadly, in my opinion, than nuclear weapons. A nuclear weapon can drop and wipe the area that it's dropped in clean of life. That's the way I would want to go. I mean, take me out. I, I I don't want to feel it. I don't want to know about it. I just take me out. But that's not what chemical and biological weapons do. They They slowly kill you in the most grotesque way. I can remember when I first got my anthrax shot. We had to line up on a ship. I was serving on the USS Harper's Ferry, and we had to line up, and one by one, we got our our, our shot, and the, the, the shot was basically to help protect us against an anthrax attack as we were going into the Iraqi region, and we were given these, these um, um, needles that looked like harpoons. I mean, these things were huge, and the instruction was, take it and, you know, put it into the meaty flesh or into your heart. And then after you put it into your chest or like throw it and thrust it into your chest, um, like a javelin, you take that needle and this is how long it was. You actually put it through the pocket, the left, left breast pocket of your uniform and then bend the needle over to show others that you've already received this, this nuclear chemical kind of, um, defense mechanism. I was like, what? Shoot me in the head. I don't want a needle that looks like when you stab it through my heart, it will go all the way to my back. 
No, <laughs> take me out. Somebody have mercy and, 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 and practice due diligence and just, sh- sh- I can't, I don't want to shoot myself. I don't believe in suicide, but man, that'd be the closest I've ever come to it. I remember. One time when I was in uh, Vietnam, I was traveling together with a uh, with a, a Chinese friend of mine, a pastor by the name of Joshua, and he and I were working in Vietnam. And when we were in Vietnam, uh, we went to Hanoi, and I remember that I wanted to go and see the Hanoi Hilton. For those of you that are not familiar with the Hanoi Hilton, it is the prisoner of war facility in Hanoi that is still there where Americans were held as prisoners of war during the Vietnam, the Vietnam War. Um, there was a Swedish guy there um, outside, and, and he kind of heckled me a little bit and, and harassed me a little bit. Uh, he was obviously some sort of flaming flower child from the 1970s that talked about how he, he was an older guy. So he was talking about how he was against the Vietnam War from the very beginning, the American aggression, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, did I didn't say this. I just kind of nodded my head and I absorbed his attack. But I was just thinking in my head, dude, you're insane. Did you see what happened to the people in the, the southern part of Vietnam when Ho Chi Minh finally took over? Have you seen the, the how um, communism has ravaged this country? The millions of people that died because of Ho Chi Minh's success? And, and right or wrong, the reasons for being there, the U.S. military was actually able to hold that off at least for a little bit. And people gave their lives in protection of those that they didn't even, they didn't even know. I, I should backhand you if I weren't saved. That's the excuse I'll use. I, I was saved. But. I was traveling with a much more loving, much more kind Chinese Christian. See, that's why I travel with these guys, because they're so much better Christians than I am. I serve them. They are amazing evangelists, and I'm just happy to be able to hold their purse or their their handbag um, as they serve on the mission field. And and I'm not saying that um, in a joking way. I really do consider it to be a the privilege of my life to be able to serve these amazing saints that that are um, so loving and giving, much more loving, much more forgiving than than I am. Um, I still have many very carnal thoughts, especially when I'm standing toe to toe with a 1970s flower child from Northern Europe. Anyway, we're sitting there and um, I'm going through and I'm looking at um, the, the, the place where John McCain, one of the former presidential candidates for the United States, he was also a prisoner of war for over five years inside of the Hanoi Hilton. The, the, and the, his treatment was atrocious. He was a war hero. Uh, his father was an admiral in charge of the, the Pacific Fleet. Um, his father ordered a bombing on the very city where he knew his son was being held as a prisoner of war. Holy cow. Can you imagine the thoughts going through his head where he put country and mission before his own son? That is a godly trait. Who put mission? Can you can you think of any other story where mission, vision, and love of people was put before the love of your own son? You sacrifice your own son for the good of others, for the accomplishment of the mission. 
That's what John McCain's father did. And so John McCain was held as a prisoner of war. He was offered a chance to leave, and he didn't leave. Uh, the reason he didn't leave is that according to the Uniform Code of Conduct, um, whenever you are taken as a prisoner of war, at that point, you are not allowed to leave because of privileged status. That you must leave in the same order in which you were brought in. Meaning that if there are prisoners of war that have been serving longer than you, then you must insist as a prisoner of a war, um, that you must insist according to the Uniform Code of Conduct that those that were captured earlier go before you, that you leave in order. And because John McCain knew that he was in a special circumstance, dude, I'd have been out of there so fast. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Did you pick me? Did did I win the lottery today? Am I going to go home first? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I, I no no problem. I don't even need to pack my bags. Just point me in the direction of the aeroplane that will fly me to America. Uh, my butt will be keeping that seat warm, and I'll feel guilty about it later. But right now, I'm boarding that plane. But he was a hero. He was this this individual that stayed, and they told him. The North Korean, the, I'm sorry, the North Vietnamese soldiers told him, if you do not take this offer, you will suffer like you've never suffered before. And those men kept their promise. John McCain served more time. Think about this. He served more time as a prisoner of war suffering under torture than I served during my entire time in the United States Marine Corps. My entire time of service was less than the amount of time that he spent as a prisoner of war and every single day sucked. And I walked through, I had the privilege, I was walking together with this Chinese pastor, Pastor Joshua, and I was sharing with him about what the American soldiers went through when they were prisoners of war in the Hanoi Hilton. And while I was walking through, I heard a guy, and I've shared this before on a podcast, but for those of you that might not have heard it, I'm going to share it again. There was a guy by the name of um, Pete Peterson. And Pete Peterson was the very first ambassador to North, uh, Northern, uh, to Vietnam. He was the very first ambassador to Vietnam under the Clinton administration. He was also a congressman. And so he was there. He was in charge of the Better Business Bureau for the Vietnamese. And he was given a tour at the time to a few people. And I walked up to him and I was like, excuse me, were, were you here? He's like, yeah. And that's when he introduced himself as Pete Peterson. I got my picture taken with him. It was, it was a real highlight. I mean, I just felt that it was such an honor to be there with this man who had his feet in shackles, that had mosquito bites from head to toe, that had dysentery and diarrhea every single day, that had to crap in a bucket. Then that bucket had to set beside him. That was given crappy, uh, rodent infested, lice infested rice cold rice uh, every other day that was barely given any meat that was shrunken down to skin and bone because of malnutrition that was being beat with with uh, uh, bamboo poles just for the fun of it where his fingernails lifted off of his body his hair plucked he's, he's covered in lice trying to keep the morale for his other people and he told me I remember when I was sitting in the tree, I my plane was shot down. I parachuted down and I landed in a tree. And as I sat there in that tree, I had my forty-five on my hip. And I saw the Vietnamese coming for me. And I knew 
that it wasn't going to be pretty. And he said, if you would have told me then how long I would be in a POW, a prisoner of war. If you would have told me then how long I was going to have to suffer, how many days I was going to have to sit in the scorching heat of Vietnam, the, the, the heavy air that is so wet and rains and it's hot and it's, 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 it's humid and it's miserable and no air conditioning, no fans. Just a complete buffet for every mosquito and bug that comes along. Rats trying to feast on that which you can't even eat yourself. Keeping you company. If they would have told me that, he told me, I would have taken that forty-five and I'd have blown my brains out. I'm telling you, that testimony that he shared even though I do not believe in suicide. Man, a chemical biological attack by North Korea onto Seoul or Japan, that's a horrible way to go. That is a horrible way to go. And that's what you will be looking at if there is any preemptive strike onto North Korea. It will not be pretty. Kim Jong-un doesn't even care about his own people. He makes them suffer and he kills them at will. What in the world makes you think that he will somehow show restraint? Gentlemanly restraint? Forget about it. He will be pushing buttons like someone who's trying to do whack-a-mole at a Chuck E. Cheese. Trust me when I say that he will launch every single mobile weapon that he can get his hands on to be scorched earth policy. Because if he's going down, I know that he will take everyone with him. And they hate, he hates, hates with a passion, South Koreans and Americans. He has to because he's ingrained it. It's been ingrained in him and is ingraining it into his people. On June 23rd, just a few days ago, on the Rundong Samun, which is a, a, one of the main kind of publications by the North Korean government, there was an article that called President Trump a rough and reckless war maniac that needs to be attacked first. A rough, this is quote, rough and reckless war maniac. Well, that's really to be proven. He hasn't really shown his desire for war yet. Um, he's also been quoted, this is in quotes, a lunatic. There's a lot of Democrats in America right now and world leaders that would probably agree with that. But this is their uh, state publication. And the reason I mention that is because it has been escalated to the harshest level that they can bring up in the Korean language. And they've been attacking President Trump by name. They hate President Trump. North Korea policy is to use the nastiest terminology. Now, before they showed a little bit of restraint, but now it's the nastiest um, uh, terminology. They're, they've been using the terms Trump gang, Trump henchmen, and Trump cronies. Um, the reason that they're doing this is they want to dehumanize him as much as possible to their people to make them ready for war. So here are some quick questions. I just want to ask you three quick questions, really quick. As you, before I put out our prayer request, I want to ask these three questions. The first one that you might be asking, and they might be sharing this on the news a little bit, but let me ask this first question. How dangerous is the missile program? How dangerous is North Korea? 
Well, the North Korean news said that the projectile had reached an altitude of 2,800 kilometers. That's about 1,731 miles. It's a little bit different than the, the, the other um, news that we'll be getting, but that's directly from the North Korean media, is that it reached an altitude of 2,802 kilometers, and it flew about 933 kilometers for 39 minutes before hitting its target in the sea. The reason why it's important that they're telling you that it's 39 minutes is because it takes about without that kind of arc, without reaching that kind of altitude, it would take about 40 minutes for a missile to hit the mainland U.S. And this missile just proved that they have what it takes to reach America with a nuclear weapon. Can the world defend itself against North Korea? That's the next question. So the first question that I want to ask, how dangerous is North Korea with its new missile program? The second question that I want to ask you is, can the world defend itself against North Korea? Can the U.S., can South Korea, can Japan? Well, South Korea's President Moon Jae-un um, just called on the United Nations Security Council to take steps against North Korea. Moon has been pushing for a sunshine policy. A sunshine policy is basically what North, what South Korea has done in the past. What they did before is they tried to engage North Korea with, with kid gloves. They treated them with kid gloves and then they began to do economic programs inside of North Korea that gave North Koreans jobs. So they, they had a huge Hyundai plant. They had Hyundai tours and they brought in a ton of money into North Korea and they felt that that engagement brought them into the sunshine. From behind the bamboo curtain into the sunshine. But Moon's sunshine policy is turning into a sunburn policy. Now, Moon has been thought of as kind of a, a, a South Korean liberal, kind of a pansy, kind of a softy. But let me just point out that Moon is a former special forces paratrooper for South Korea. I've worked with these guys. They're hardcore. I've worked with the Rock Marines, the Republic of Korea Marines. They're hardcore. Little strange sometimes, but hardcore. I, I actually trained the Republic of Korea Marines. I can remember the first time engaging them. Um, I walked into their camp and I started seeing like two heads pop out of one sleeping bag. I'm like, whoa, 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 dude. Um, don't really know why two dudes are sharing the same sleeping bag, but don't ask, don't tell. That was the Clinton policy. That was the policy I used with the, the, the Republic of Korea Marines. But I quickly learned that these guys were hardcore uh, Marines. I mean, they earned the title of a, of a Korean Marine. Um, paratroopers, the special force paratroopers, these guys go through some really extensive training in order to reach that title. And they have to because they share a border with madmen. And it seems to run in the blood because just like his grandfather and father before him, Kim Jong-un seems to be of a loony status. And uh, Moon, though he tried a soft approach, and that's very much like Mad Dog Mattis. Mad Dog Mattis, he's quoted as when he went into Iraq uh, trying to negotiate them. He said, I come pleading. This is almost a direct quote. I come pleading with tears in my eyes. I can't direct quote because the words that he used are not necessarily that he drops the F-bomb, which I'm not really going to share on this podcast. But he said, I'm coming begging with tears in my eyes to surrender because if you don't if you fight us i swear i'll kill every stinking one of you he's also quoted as saying um uh smile and be nice to everyone else in the room but have a plan to kill everyone 
Uh, this is Mad Dog Mattis. Mad Dog Mattis will always take this, the, the diplomatic approach first, begging. He doesn't want war. And that seems to be Moon as well. A special for, a, a former special forces paratrooper, but also a person whose parents fled North Korea. So it's, he is this, the, he is the son of a family that escaped the punishment of those that were trapped behind the North Korean lines and that are still there today. Moon is, is less dovish than the popular perception of him might, might be at the moment. He's probably a little bit more hawkish, but he hides it very, very well. And he's, he really has tried the diplomatic approach, but he's basically come online with Trump and he shares the assessment that the previous U.S. administration, meaning President Obama's strategic patience, quote unquote, was an absolute failure. The only thing that was was stand on the sidelines while North Korea advances and, in fact, remove the shackles that keep them from reaching their very uh, goals even faster. So he also, Moon, um, also endorsed Trump's policy of maximum pressure and engagement, acknowledging the need to enhance international sanctions and pressure on North Korea to coerce it back to the path of denuclearization. But I think that the path to denuclearization, in my opinion, is over. It's done. Anytime you hear somebody talking about the path back to denuclearization or the six-party talks to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula is a act of futility. It's not going to happen. That train has left the station. It's gone. Anybody that talks about that is talking in theoretical terms that is just absolute hogwash and an absolute waste of time. Economic sanctions that they're going to put, they're going to be talking about, well, we need to bring the six-party talks. We need to bring China to the table, Russia to the table, and talk about economic sanctions. On what? Have you not been to North Korea? They're the poorest nation in all of Asia. The only people poor, the only people that win the gold medal for being poor is Somalia. They are starving and dying in North Korea. They are having a famine in North Korea. 2017, North Korea is in the middle of a famine. They're already under some of the toughest sanctions possible, both imposed, and here's the crazy one, self-imposed. North Koreans basically have a self-imposed sanction policy. I'm not joking. They want to be self-reliant. When people try to give them good things, they kick it away. It's illegal to run humanitarian operations most of the time in North Korea. When you run humanitarian operations as we do, when I'm traveling inside of North Korea doing some of the projects that I'm doing, we have to call it a business Because even though it's a business that loses money, we have to pretend and play along with their lunacy that it is a special um, kind of business and not a humanitarian outreach. When in all reality, it is a humanitarian outreach. Now, I know a lot of people may not like some of the words and some of the ways that I explain things. I apologize if I come across a little blunt, but the situation in North Korea right now is desperate. It's serious. And I have to talk to you straight. When I'm about to tell you what we need for prayer, I need to tell you what's on the table. I'm not going to dance around the issue. I need to tell you that it is a serious situation. And if you're going to talk about uh, some pie in the sky denuclearization idea, then I have to tell you, you are crazy. I have prayed for miracles 
that were not as crazy as that. Right now, with the current regime that you have on the Korean Peninsula, you are not going to have denuclearization. It's it's not going to happen. And if you think that you're going to be bringing in uh, sanctions, which they're coming, more and more sanctions are going to come because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're going to do something. But let me tell you that when you hear the news and people glorifying themselves because they were able to bring in more sanctions against North Korea, trust me when I say these guys want to keep face and these sanctions mean nothing. Are they going to hurt a little bit? But these guys are already at the max level of sanctions. And they self-impose. This is like threatening a kid to, because they, they are self-imposed sanctions a lot of the times. Think about this. This is like threatening a kid with a spanking that spanks himself. This is like threatening a kid to go to his room without lunch that has already decided to fast for the next week. You are not going to punish these people with what they are already punishing themselves with. So the reason I wanted to share that is because when we ask the question, um, uh, can the world defend itself against North Korea? You're going to hear it because the first question, of course, just to remind you, because I have been bloviating for much, much longer than I wish to. I apologize for that. Um, but when I asked the first question, the first question was, how dangerous is the missile program inside of North Korea? Well, Pretty stinking dangerous. Okay, that's the bottom line. Uh, I did explain it a little bit more, but yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty darn dangerous. Um, and then, can the world defend itself against North Korea? The U.S. maybe a little bit, just because of their geographical location, because they're out of range of the craziness. At least for now, yeah, they can reach America with a missile, but hopefully, you get it up off the ground. And if you do, you're done. You are done. You hit the U.S. You you hit the waters outside the U.S. You push a button for a missile that was supposed to hit the U.S. and it doesn't. <laughs> you are going to be a pancake with with Mad Dog Mattis and President Donald Trump. Yeah, you would have done better to pull this kind of stunt under Obama with Trump. Yeah, you're you're done. Uh, he is pretty pro-American, and pro-American means not absorbing nuclear uh, bombs and, and, and then trying to work with the United Nations. By the way, the United Nations, when it comes to sanctions and this kind of stuff, is absolutely worthless. What it is is a hot airbag. It's, it's, it's one of those rooms that you can go to when you're really, really upset and scream and nobody hear you, and you feel better because you screamed. That's what the United Nations is. It's a screaming room. It's like going to your car, shutting the doors with nobody else in there, and screaming. It basically does the same thing when you let out gas and you don't want anybody else to smell it. It's much better when you go to another room where there's nobody else and you just let it loose. All right, But it doesn't do anything more than that except for make you feel better. All right. That's all the United Nations is. It is an empty chamber that allows you to let off some steam, to yell and scream until it feels better for you. But nothing's actually changed. The only thing that that has changed is your feelings. That's it. So can the world defend itself against North Korea? Maybe the U.S., but not South Korea or Japan. Cannot. Impossible. No. Bottom line, no, you can't. If there's a preemptive strike... Or there's a strike in North Korea. Or just one day Kim Jong-un gets an itchy finger and decides to start popping off bombs. When he gets nuclear and biological mobile missile systems up and going, South Korea will suffer. Japan will suffer. 
guaranteed. And you better hope that those scientists know what they're doing and that you don't have squirrely um, missiles that accidentally land inside of China or Russia because then it will be an automatic takeover. China will stomp North Korea. Uh, Right now you have a crazy person that is not that strong but has his finger on the trigger. Now the next question is – and this is the important one. Of all the things that I've said – It brings us to the third question that I want to ask you. What can we do? And of all the things that I've been talking about, let me say this. I believe that what we are seeing is the exact same thing as we are seeing from the Muslim world. The Muslim world isn't evil because they're Middle Eastern. Middle Easterns are having problems because they are controlled by the spirit of Islam. And until you understand that, you will not be able to defeat this enemy. Until you understand that, you will be banging your head against the wall trying to find solution after solution. And those solutions will end in absolute failure. Maybe temporary relief. Possibly temporary relief. But that's it. You're just going to have a bit of relief. That's it. You will not conquer this enemy through physical means. You want to drop a bomb on North Korea? Good luck. That'll screw you over more than you know. The only way to defeat this enemy, my friends, is through the power of the Holy Ghost. The only way to defeat this enemy is we as Christians need to strap on our armor. We need to go Ephesians 6 on these people. And we need to pray like never before. We need every prayer warrior behind us. We need you on your knees with your hands clasped, your eyes closed, and your spirit man focused on God. And you need to pray for the missionaries that are serving on the ground inside of North Korea. We need radical Christians. We need radical missionaries. We need radical prayer warriors. We need to start sending bombs. Bombs of prayer. We need to start sending sending bombs, bombs of the spiritual nature that will explode in the heart. It's time to stop playing around with North Korea. It's time to stop sending cutesy little donations that might get a Bible or two into North Korea. We need to inundate that place with more Bibles and missionaries than it's ever seen before. We need to start planning on a war-sized scale of missionaries and Bibles that are ready to go inside of North Korea and change that nation from the inside out. We need people that are on their needs. We need you. We need you to be praying for the back to Jerusalem missionaries like never before. And if you feel a calling into North Korea, pack your bags, get on a plane and come on over. We need you to be on the ground. Now, I know a lot of people may not agree. They may say that people that are too zealous, they're ruining it for other people. I'm Come in and support the locals. Come in and do it the right way, but come in nonetheless. We need missionaries. We need prayer warriors. We need donations. If you have have not yet joined us as a gatekeeper, please consider this as a cry for help to get on the internet, find the gatekeeper program and become one of our gatekeepers where I am giving weekly updates about the situation on North Korea because it is a serious one. This one we're opening up for everyone because on July 4th here in the United States, it 
is a serious situation and we need your prayers. I'm serious. I'm serious. Please do not walk away from this podcast thinking, yeah, I need to pray and then forget about it. Please, right now, right stinking now, please stop what you're doing. Write down on your phone. If you have a phone in your hand, if you don't find a pen and paper, write it down, please. Please write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your alerts on your phone. Put it into your Gmail so that it will alert you. Write it down on your computer. Write it down on your Facebook. Please pray for North Korea. Bring your family together. Bring your Bible study together. Bring your church together. Pray. People, you do not know how serious this is. We are on the verge of a physical war, and the physical war will only bring pain and heartache, bloodshed. Innocent lives will be lost, but we can win this battle now. We can win it in the spiritual world. If I sound like a crazy man, it's because the things of God do not make sense to those who think in the natural if you are a part of a 24-hour prayer team, if you are a part of, of a 24-hour prayer house, please bring this before your people. Cry out to God. Don't make this a regular chant. Don't try to make your prayer pretty. Make it sloppy. Make it heartfelt. Let the snot and the tears and the slobber flow when you cry out to God. Let this be one of those prayers where when you get praying, you don't even know the words to say they start to stumble over themselves people sound people hear you and it starts to sound like mumbling and let it go into mumbling that they, they let it cry out from the deepest of the deep within your soul we need actual prayer warriors if you're just going to give lip service then we don't need it you might as well not even start it we need people that are passionately on their knees crying out oh god oh god we need you now that is my prayer to you please write it down please do not forget about it we have missionaries right now about 20 back to jerusalem missionaries serving inside of north korea as i'm doing this podcast oh how i wish i could share with you what they are doing but i can't i can't even give you a little bit of a taste of what it is that they're doing for fear that it would be able to identify them in a country that is already so hostile trust me when i say that the north koreans are looking for us they're looking for the chinese i get emails and messages all the time that says you're sharing too much information. Trust me when I say that I'm sharing as much information as I can for you to know what it is that we're doing, but I'm also adding elements that are peppered in with that that will mislead those that are trying to glean information from our prayer requests, from our newsletter, from our articles online. I know that you might be concerned uh, about the information that we are releasing on North Korea. But trust me when I say that my former job was I was in intelligence. And one of the things that I trained a little bit on is counterintelligence. And so I employ those strategies when I write our news articles. And so even though they may seem to you that they're giving away a lot more information that they should, trust me when I say that they are safe, that they do not give away the kind of information that you think that it does, but it gives you what you need 
to know as our prayer partners, as our gatekeepers, to know how to pray and to be encouraged that things continue to happen inside of North Korea. Right now, as I'm doing this podcast, I'm pleading with you to pray like you have never prayed before for North Korea. Like I said, this is a special podcast. I'm so glad that you downloaded this and that you were able to last through this 40 minutes of kind of an introduction of what's taking the real news of what's taking place inside of North Korea from someone who's actually traveled inside of North Korea and works with those that are inside of North Korea now. Thank you so much for being with us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. And thank you for your prayers. God bless. Thank you.